0: welcome to Word Online. Hello and welcome to series 13 and episode 5 in which Jesus is tried by the Roman governor Pontius Pilate. We're going to be studying this uh, incident from John's gospel and also from Luke's gospel and in this episode as in so many other ones recently it's just been helpful to integrate the different Gospel accounts because they provide different perspectives and different information give us a fuller story. Well I hope you've been with us in recent episodes following the story of the dramatic events of the last week of Jesus's life and we're now in the third series that's looking at just one week of Jesus's life and there's a lot more still to happen but so far uh, there's been Uh, A remarkable series of events, as I've explained in previous episodes, the underlying theme as Jesus enters Jerusalem in this week is the conflict between him and the religious establishment, the Sanhedrin, which was the Jewish ruling council, led by the high priest and uh, all the other religious authorities who had formally turned against Jesus. And at the point we've we've reached now, uh, they've arrested him, they've tried him, somewhat illegally, but they've carried out a trial of him in the Sanhedrin courts overnight on the Thursday night and Friday morning of the last week of Jesus's life. It's been an incredibly dramatic series of events that have taken place, and they're also very different. The mood has changed, the circumstances have changed so dramatically from the moments on uh, Sunday, Sunday when Jesus comes into Jerusalem with a vast crowd of people acclaiming him and welcoming him as the Messiah from that moment onwards uh, things have got more complicated because Jesus went into the temple on Monday and created a real stir by uh, overturning the tables of the uh, market traders in the temple who, who worked for the for the religious authorities then on Tuesday there was a difficult conflict in the temple compound Uh, to do with questions being asked of Jesus, trick questions by the religious leaders. And then on Wednesday, that fateful moment happened in Bethany at a a hospitality event where Jesus was being entertained with his disciples when Judas Iscariot went to the authorities and offered to work with them to arrest Jesus. And from that moment onwards, it became inevitable that uh, Jesus' arrest would take place And it also became likely that that would happen very quickly. And so it turned out, if Judas Iscariot went on Wednesday to meet the religious leaders, within uh, just over 24 hours, they'd actually arrested Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. We followed that story in earlier episodes as we looked at the Last Supper on Thursday evening as Jesus gathered the twelve. And we noticed uh, in that story how uh, Judas Iscariot left halfway through the meal without any explanation and went off to the religious leaders and told them where he predicted Jesus was going to be shortly, which would be in the Garden of Gethsemane, a place that he went to often with his disciples on the way home from Jerusalem to uh, Bethany, where they were staying just uh, a short distance outside the city. We then saw the dramatic events of Jesus being in the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, the great suffering as he anticipated his arrest, the sleepiness of his disciples as he prayed, and then the trauma and drama of the sudden arrival of Judas Iscariot with a group of uh, religious leaders and temple guards armed and with lanterns so that they could clearly see in torches. Um, They wanted to find out who Jesus was, and he was betrayed by Judas with the famous sign of the kiss. Now we've seen that uh, he was tried overnight informally um, at the high priest's house. Caiaphas the high priest gathered the Sanhedrin together and they had a, a quick trial uh, which they condemned him as a blasphemer and decided they were going to hand him over to the Romans in the morning. All these events um, that I've described just now taking place in the in, in the scope of one evening from the last supper right the way through to handing over to the Romans were dealing with Thursday evening through to Friday morning. So this was a night where all the participants were awake most of the night and in the last episode we saw the tragic story of Peter who in the te- in the courtyard of the high priest's house Uh, was questioned by the servants of the high priest as to whether he was a follower of Jesus and three times denied it and then realised what a terrible thing he'd done and went out and wept bitterly. Meanwhile we also saw the story of Judas Iscariot who as soon as he'd handed Jesus over and realised the full implications of, of what he'd done and the fact that Jesus was going to be executed imminently probably He just couldn't cope with the thought of his responsibility in that area and he ended his life by suicide. So this is really a night of high drama if ever there was one. And we're now uh, approaching the time of the morning and the next day. And events are going to move fast early in the morning because... From the Jews' point of view, from the Sanhedrin's point of view, their task now was to get Jesus handed over to the Roman authorities. As stated in earlier episodes, the Sanhedrin's authority extended to um, ruling over the religious life of the Jews, which was a very important part of their life. And they could make lots of decisions on their own about the conduct of religion and they could deal with legal cases relating to religion uh, without any interference from the Romans. They met regularly in Jerusalem. There were 70 members of the council. The high priest was usually the chair and uh, they conducted their business on a regular basis. However, the Romans specifically prevented them from having the authority to execute any criminals or uh, those who'd uh, turned against their religion or anyone else that they wanted to get rid of they did not have that power it was illegal so therefore the sanhedrin is now in an awkward position during the night in their trial they have condemned jesus as a blasphemer uh, who's worthy of death they want to get him executed Uh, but they are not able to do it in any legal way. So they are totally dependent on the cooperation of the Roman authorities. And this brings us to the person of Pontius Pilate. Now Pontius Pilate has been in the story, in the background of the Gospels, and we've mentioned him on a number of occasions, but now he becomes, quite suddenly, the central figure everything depends on a decision that he's just about to make now Pontius Pilate was representing the Roman Empire he governed the province of Judea uh, of which Jerusalem was a central city in the Jewish capital he himself lived in uh, on the coast uh, in the Roman city of Caesarea which they built uh, And it was a coastal port and a military headquarters. That was his base. That's where he lived. He had a palace there. But he came to Jerusalem regularly, at least three times a year for the major festivals. And the reason he came was to keep a watchful eye on the crowds, because these religious festivals could be occasions of uprisings and um, assassinations and discontent and riots against the Romans. There was a big military fortress in the center of the city near the temple and he could stay there and he could watch over everything that was happening. He had a reputation for harshness and wasn't popular with the Jews, but he was the ruling governor. He was mostly concerned in Jerusalem that there should be public order and peace and no rioting on the streets or no attacks on any Roman institutions. That was the most important thing in his mind. Uh, There's no evidence that Pilate knew a great deal about Judaism or cared about it very much. He wasn't interested in the Jewish faith. Romans generally found Jews difficult to deal with as their subjects. So they left all the religious side to the Sanhedrin and to the temple authorities. So Pontius Pilate was going to be called upon to make a major decision and we're going to follow the story by looking in John 18 verses 28 to 38 then the Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor by now it was early morning and to avoid ceremonial uncleanness They did not enter the palace because they wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out to them and asked, what charges are you bringing against this man? If he were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone, they objected. This took place to fulfil what Jesus had said about the kind of death that he was going to die. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew, Pilate replied. Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it that you've done? With this, he went out again to the Jews gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against this man. Pilate found this a very difficult situation. The Sanhedrin was hoping that he would make a quick decision, but he didn't really want to get involved in this case. And he didn't understand what the issue really was. Because if Jesus had been some kind of a militia leader or a a leader of a rebellion or he had an armed gang with him, uh, then he could understand that it was his responsibility to deal with him. But he couldn't really understand Jesus's answers to his questions. Are you the king of the Jews? He's trying to work out whether he was claiming to rule over that province and get rid of the Romans. But Jesus answer pointed to the fact that his kingdom was not a human kingdom, or some kind of a spiritual kingdom. And this completely mystified Pilate. He could not find any base, basis for charging Jesus. He really was hoping to get rid of this case quickly, send Jesus back to the Sanhedrin to sort out in another way. But it wasn't going to be that easy. And the uh, Jewish leaders... They started pressing Pilate very hard. We're going to turn now to Luke chapter 23, verses 5 to 12, which takes the story forward and adds another detail that isn't in the other Gospels. Luke 23, verse 5. But they insisted he stirs up the people all over Judea by his teaching. He started in Galilee and has come all the way here. On hearing this, Pilate asked if the man was a Galilean. When he learned that Jesus was under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at that time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was greatly pleased, because for a long time he'd been wanting to see him. From what he'd heard about him, he hoped to see him perform a sign of some sort. He plied him with many questions, but Jesus gave him no answer. The chief priests and the teachers of the law were standing there vehemently accusing him then Herod and his soldiers ridiculed and mocked him dressing him in an elegant robe they sent him back to Pilate that day Herod and Pilate became friends before this they had been enemies you see Pilate at this point is trying to get rid of the responsibility and he thinks a good way of doing it is a through the fact that Jesus is actually not from Judea, the province that he's directly ruling, but from Galilee in the north, which was ruled for the Romans by Herod Antipas or Herod the Tetrarch, who we've met in the story a number of times earlier on. He was based in Galilee; his headquarters were in the town of, of Tiberias on the western side of the Sea of Galilee, and only a few kilometres south of Jesus's. Headquarters of his Galilean ministry in Capernaum. So, technically speaking, Jesus was a citizen of Galilee and was a subject of Herod Antipas. And Herod was here in Jerusalem because he, like Pilate, came to the city for the religious festivals. He needed to show his face, it was part of his responsibilities. Many Galileans were coming to the festival and he wanted to show his respect for the Jewish religion so Herod was in town and Pilate was hoping that Herod would deal with him he was hoping that Herod would perhaps arrest him and take him back to Galilee and try him there but no Herod was just interested in meeting Jesus never met him before Jesus made a point of not going to Tiberius during his three years of Galilean ministry But Jesus, of course, was well aware that Herod had arrested and executed his relative, John the Baptist. And so Herod was tainted by that terrible action. But Herod found it really frustrating talking to Jesus and he ended up just mocking him and sending him back to Pilate, which was the last thing that Pilate wanted. He was really hoping that someone else was going to deal with this troublesome case. He didn't really want to execute someone without any obvious reason for doing so. We take up the story again in John 18, verse 39. And we're going to read to John 19, verse 16 but it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back, no, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now Barabbas had taken part in an uprising. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up, to him again and again, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they slapped him in the face. Once more, Pilate came out and said to the Jews gathered there, Look, I'm bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, Here is the man. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid, and he went back inside to the palace. Where do you come from? he asked Jesus. But Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me? Pilate said. Don't you realise I have power either to free you or to crucify you? Jesus answered, you would have no power over me if it had not been given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jewish leaders kept shouting, if you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down at the judge's seat at a place known as the Stone Pavement, which in Aramaic is Gabbatha. It was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about noon. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king? Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priests answered. Finally, Pilate Handed him over to be crucified. Pilate is doing everything in his power to avoid crucifying Jesus. He feels uneasy about this situation. And he doesn't see any reason why the Roman authorities should be involved with a religious situation. It's interesting that at this time, Matthew records in Matthew 27, 19, the following. While Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message. Don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. So Pilate's uneasy and his wife is urging him not to get involved in this particular case but the Jewish leaders are pressurizing him. They're gathering a crowd and they're chanting at Pilate crucify him, crucify him. Every time Pilate tries to release him, they are chanting, crucify him. Pilate's hoping that the offer to free Barabbas, another prisoner, would pacify them because of the tradition that one prisoner could be freed at this particular time of year, but no. They didn't want Barabbas. They wanted Jesus to be crucified. Now when Pilate ordered Jesus to be flogged. He was punishing him in such a way as hoping that that would be enough for the religious authorities. He was then mocked with a crown of thorns and a robe over him by the soldiers. But this action was designed to stave off the possibility of crucifixion. It didn't work. The flogging was terrible. The victim was tied to a post and whipped many times. Some people died of flogging. But Pilate still said he found no basis for the execution. And he even ironically said, well, why don't you execute him, knowing that that was illegal and they couldn't do it. And after Pilate's final private words with Jesus, he feels the pressure is too great. And he gives in. And in order to have an easy life, he decides that he will order The execution of Jesus by crucifixion. The process of getting Jesus crucified is energised only by the Sanhedrin and the religious establishment. It doesn't come from the Jewish crowds in the city. It doesn't come from the Roman political authorities. It doesn't come from ordinary Jewish worshippers doesn't come from the visitors to the city, it comes from the religious establishment. They manipulate things so as to get Jesus arrested privately and they manipulate a trial, doing a number of illegal things in their trial according to their own traditions and rules in order to get a judgment against him and then they seek to manipulate Pilate's judgment by putting tremendous emotional pressure on him And claiming that Jesus is a threat to the Roman emperor. They are the ones who drive this process. But who has the responsibility for Jesus' death? This is a question that people have asked over the centuries. The responsibility is shared between the Roman authorities and the Jewish authorities. The Gentiles and the jews there is a particular responsibility for the jews of that generation especially when they cry out matthew 27 verse 25 his blood be on us and our children they're inviting the judgment of god upon them which came upon them in the jewish war and the destruction of jerusalem between 66 and 70 a.d something we've discussed in considerable detail Uh, particularly at the beginning of series 12 when we looked at Jesus' teaching in Matthew 24. You might want to refer to that if you haven't seen that. But the responsibility was shared and therefore there is no basis for anti-Semitism because the Jewish religious leaders orchestrated the death of Jesus. The judgment that came on the nation came on them within a generation of Jesus' death. There is no basis for any anti-Semitism in a good understanding of the New Testament and the life of Jesus and of the Christian faith. But there is a recognition that that generation paid a heavy price for the terrible decision that was made by the Sanhedrin. There's terrible suffering for Jesus here. He's been suffering tremendously, the anticipation in the garden The humiliation of the trial uh, in the Sanhedrin, the desertion of his followers, and now the flogging at the hands of the Roman authorities. Uh, He is being humiliated and the suffering of Jesus has well and truly begun and will lead now directly to his execution by crucifixion, which will take place... Uh, within a a very short period of time from Pilate's final moments of judgment which we've seen taking place uh, at the end of this episode. However, human power is very temporary. Let's just think of the fate of those people involved in what has gone on in this terrible treatment of Jesus. What happens to Pilate? About three years after this event, he was dismissed by the Roman emperor and exiled to Gaul. That was the end of his power. Gaul is uh, what we would now call France in the western part of the Roman Empire. So within three years, he'd been dismissed, forgotten. No power ever again. What happened to Herod Antipas, who mocked Jesus? He was deposed in in about three years of this event, about the same time, and also exiled to the western part of the Roman Empire. What happened to the Sanhedrin that was instrumental in bringing Jesus to judgment and death? It was destroyed by the Romans in 70 AD and the temple was destroyed and its structure of... Functioning was effectively destroyed at that time, as the nation was dismembered by the Romans. So all these all these authorities that played a part in in this uh, travesty of justice soon came to a bitter end. But Jesus rose again from the dead. Let's leave the final word with Peter in his sermon on the day of pentecost he says this in acts 2 verse 23 and 24 this man was handed over to you by god's deliberate plan and foreknowledge and you with the help of wicked men put him to death by nailing him to the cross but god raised him from the dead freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him he's here addressing the jews You put him to death with the help of wicked men. That's a reference to the Romans. But it was God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge that allowed these things to happen because he had a greater plan in mind, a plan which we'll discuss further in subsequent episodes. You have been listening to Martin Charlesworth for Word Online. To find out more, visit wordonline.org.